You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. I will tell you, though, I'm excited about this series. Uh, Before we get into that, I want you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Galatians 2, verses 11 through 16. Um, let me just uh, take one more minute, throw that slide up again for me, Luke. Let's talk about this real quick one more time. Next week, we got some time change. You heard it before, we're going to hit it again, and we're going to hit it at the end to make sure we get this. Uh, there's time changes coming. So next week, we're going to have drive-in church at the same time at 8 a.m. for those who can't or do not feel comfortable yet coming inside. And then at 9 a.m., we're going to move this service back 30 minutes to 9 a.m. The reason we're doing that is because we want to start back our traditional service. And way before COVID ever was even a word in our vocabulary for most of us, uh, we had made a plan this fall to launch into back-to-back services because our Sunday school uh, classrooms were maxed out. And we, we kept hitting a ceiling in there and coming back down, and we wanted to expand Sunday school. And so the only way to do that was to go to back-to-back services and provide Sunday school at two different times. So this is enabling us to go ahead and make that shift now so that when we start to come back in for Sunday school and small groups, we're already at that place. So at 9 a.m., we'll have our modern service, and at 10.30, we'll have our traditional service. Now, note this. Uh, We have children's worship going on in this hour in the modern service, and we're going to continue that forward. But because there's so many new policies, procedures, things to think about with social distancing, pickup, drop-off, all that, all the security functions that we go through every week to protect our children, your children, um, we're going to ask you to be patient with us. We're not going to start a worship hour for kids in the traditional service until November 1st. So for about three weeks, we won't have that yet because we want to get all the bugs worked out, all the kinks worked out so that we can make sure when we launch that second one, we have all the volunteers in place, everybody's trained and ready, and we've got it ironed out. So this next week, 8 a.m. drive-in, 9 o'clock modern, 10.30 will be the traditional, and we'll have child care at the 9 o'clock modern service, okay, just for the next few weeks. Um, Also, be ready for this. If you're going to our traditional service, if you're looking forward to that and coming back in for that, know that we're going to start off just like we did with our uh, modern service when we went live stream. We had drive-in was our traditional when we started back up. Um, we, in our inside service, when we started doing that, we started off with a lower number of musicians, a lower number of things going on in the room. So we're not going back full-blown directly. We're going to work our way back into that over the next three or four weeks. And so be patient with us, pray for us as we try to figure out how to do choir with social distancing and how to do all the pieces that we want to do. So be praying for us. We need your prayers, and uh, encouragement's good for everybody in our church, right? So encourage one another, let people know about these changes. Now, for the, for the time we're going to be in here together today in the Word, I want to bring us back to the understanding of what we're talking about. We're spending the next five weeks, this week included, talking about issues that a lot of us are aware of. We see it all around us. They are hot topic buttons in our community, in society, in our country, around the world. And we're going to address some of those topics, some you want to hear about, some you probably don't. And we're going to talk about things that we need to know how to put a Put it in a worldview that is from Jesus' perspective. Put it in a worldview where we can understand it in light of the gospel. And so we're going to talk about some stuff. You may walk away feeling like you didn't like things too much today or another day. That's okay. I guarantee you that the Lord is punching me in the gut or slapping me in the face with it before I get to you. And it's okay to feel like you don't like something. But here's the thing. It's okay to not be okay, right? It's not okay to stay there. 
It's okay to not be just like Jesus yet. It's not okay to stay there. And God's going to work in you. If he loves you, if he's brought you to faith, if you're his, if he's brought you here, if if he got you tuning in this morning, he loves you and he does not want to leave you the way you are. He loves you exactly like you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. And so we're going to work through some difficult scriptures and topics. And this week is one that I think we're all aware of at some level. In fact, we've seen it all around our community. In fact, I'm really excited that it lined up after we planned this out a long time ago as the Lord was directing, that we ended up doing this on the heels of the first presidential debate. I think we can all say no matter where you land on the political spectrum, that was not what what most of us hoped for in a debate, right? Uh, It was not what a lot of us were looking to see in the the way it was going to come across, no matter what side of the fence you land on. What I do know, though, is that we, as those who are saved, who have been found new in Christ, our hope is not in a debate. Our hope is not in a president. It's not even in a country, even if we love all those things. Our hope is in our Savior, who is over all those, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. But we've got some problems in our country right now. We've got some problems in our land across the world where we have a big problem that's not new, It's a problem that's gone on since Adam and Eve were in the garden. It's the same problem that's carrying on now. It's a problem that we think everybody else has. We don't always see it in us, but it's there. Our problem that we have is a supremacy problem, a supremacy problem. I'm going to give a little bit better clarity on that. Let me say it like this. We have a supremacy problem, supremacy meaning supreme. We We like to think we are supreme. Individually, corporately, whatever group we're a part of, we think we're the best, we're the benchmark. We have a superiority complex in this world because we are sinners. That's what caused Adam and Eve to fall. They thought they could do it better, right? They thought they knew better than the one who created them. And that has carried on ever since then. Let me say it like this for us as we kind of begin our time. And we're going to be all over Scripture, mostly in in Acts chapter 10 and in Galatians 2. Hang here in Galatians 2. You can flip me to Acts in a minute if you want to. But here's the way I'd like to say it as we get going. The way we view ourselves and other people greatly impacts the gospel's effectiveness in and through us. The way we view other people and ourselves greatly impacts the effectiveness of the gospel of Jesus in and through us. It is of supreme importance that we see that all of us have some amount of problem with our own view of self and that we think we are supreme. We don't want to think about it like that. We don't want to say it out loud. But implicitly, we've got some blind spots as people, as a nation, and as a church. And that's what I'm going to talk about most today. I'm not going to be talking about people that aren't here. I'm not going to be talking about this country or that country or our country. I'm talking about our faith family. I'm talking about the church, our church here the one that the Lord bought in his own blood and that he brought us into. That's what we're going to be looking at. So here's the statement again. We have a supremacy problem. You know, God tried to show us this in the beginning. God gave the law, the Old Testament, the law. He gave the law to level the field, to show everybody that all of us are sinners, that none of us can reach the bar, which is mirroring and representing his glorious holiness, his perfections. And the law was intended to uncover our depravity, to uncover our total sinfulness, revealing our nakedness and shame, just like Adam and Eve experienced it in the garden. But even in our nakedness, we sinfully fight to regain a sense of superiority, even when God is gracious to us by showing us our deficiencies. We fight for it. You may not think that we do, but I think we'll see today that we do. 
because we have a supremacy problem. See, the law was purposed to promote God's glory and his name alone. But we actually, as Christians, as religious folks, we like to use the law to promote ourselves. Yeah, if you just do like I'm doing, if you just go to church, maybe your life would change. If you just try a little harder to be like Jesus, maybe you wouldn't be in that problem right now. Man, if you hadn't made those bad choices, you know, shame on you. If you'd be a little more like me, we may not say it out loud, but that's what we're saying when we think those things, when we say those things in those ways. The problem is that, remember, church, we have a supremacy problem, even as Christians. But hey, we're in good company, right? It's been going on for the whole world's history. It's not a new problem. We're not alone in these struggles or these failures. All throughout the Old Testament, God instructed the Israelites not to intermix personally or socially with with other peoples. And that was to show his holiness, that he is completely other, completely separate from anything we can imagine. And so that was good for us, but that was intended to reveal his holiness. And somehow, Israel, our forefathers in the faith, took it upon themselves to think that that meant that that was to point to their greatness as well and not to show their unholiness by the law. That created what we might call a, an Israelite supremacy problem, thinking they were better than everybody else, right? And some of us might even agree. Some of us love the nation of Israel. Some of us would say we need to fight for Israel these days even. And so we might say something like, but weren't they superior? Didn't God choose them as a holy nation? Let me remind us what God chose them for. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. Make a note of that to go back and memorize these verses. Now, this is to Abram before there was an Israel. Now, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. He said, I will make you a great nation. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So he has blessed Israel to be a blessing to the nations, not to be supreme, you see, to be a servant of the nations. You have the stories that keep on going, right? Jonah, we all know the story of Jonah at some level. We've probably heard that story. Jonah, a guy who God said, go to the Ninevites, go to those pagans, And you tell him to repent or I'm going to bring down judgment. So he reluctantly goes after all the story of getting thrown into the sea and swallowed up by a fish and puked out on the ground. And he finally goes begrudgingly and he tells him to repent. And to his chagrin, he didn't want him to because he wants to see the judgment come on him. They actually repent. The end of the story, if you've ever read it all the way through, he's sitting up kind of on the hill overlooking the city, waiting for God's judgment to come down, hoping it does. And he's the one actually that's non-repentant, right? He's got a superiority complex. He's got a supremacy problem. We see the same thing with the story like the woman at the well. The woman at the well, right? If you don't know this, the Israelites despised the Samaritans. The woman at the well was from Samaria. She came out to the well. Jesus was there with the disciples. They went off to get some food, and he starts talking to her. And he should not have been talking to her. She was a woman. That would have been something that was beneath him as a man in those days. Supremacy problem in that culture, right? Another one would have been the fact that she was a Samaritan, a half-breed, part Jew, but not. Like it's just a dirty dog in their mindset. And to touch them would make you unclean. To be in their presence, to talk with them, to sit down for dinner with them, that make you unclean. Ceremonially, couldn't go to the temple that day. It would mess you up. 
right? But what is Jesus doing? He's hanging out. The disciples come back. He's talking. In fact, she's even got it wrong. She's got a supremacy problem. She's like, hey, your people say we worship over here, but we say worship over here. And he cuts through it and says, hey, you don't understand. The time is coming and has now arrived that you're going to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And he leads her to hope in himself. We see life change happen, even for a Samaritan woman. How about the good Samaritan? You know that story? You may not realize, maybe you forgot. The guy that was beat up, the religious people didn't help. The supremacy people, they didn't help. Who helped? The half-breed Samaritan guy. He's the one that helped. That's why it was so offensive to the Jews that heard this parable that Jesus told. I can't believe you used that guy. That guy would help. Why wouldn't, man, the Jews pass by? That's not true. It wouldn't happen. That person would never do that. They're dogs. The early church even mistreated the Hellenist widows. If you know Acts at all, in Acts 6, the Hellenist means the Gentiles. You realize the Jewish people, right, they spoke about themselves and everybody else. <laughs> That's how they talked, just like a lot of us talk, right? Them and us. That's how it is. If you use us and them language, there might be a supremacy problem. And everybody called a Gentile is everybody not a Jew. That's the language. Those widows that were of the Jewish, not of the Jewish background, of the Greek background, in other words, anything other than Jews, they were not getting cared for. So the church had to stop and the apostles had to appoint some people to take care of those widows. We see it go on in the early church where the, the church criticized Peter for going to the Gentiles with the gospel. We're going to hit on that in a minute. Even some early preachers of the gospel only preached the gospel to Jews. They weren't taking it to anybody else because they thought they were supreme. It's all about them, God's chosen people. You might be thinking, wow, these people really missed the point. Whatever happened to Abraham's blessings, right? To be a blessing. I think we are not much unlike them. Let's, let's look at some stuff together real quick. We're going to start in just a minute in Acts. Before we get there, let me say this. More recently in our own history, in the Southern Baptist Convention, some of you may not be aware of this, so I apologize to bring you some embarrassing information. But the Southern Baptist Convention was an adamant supporter of slavery and segregation. It wasn't until recent history that there was sweeping repentance from leadership about that in all the churches, making public that. Even 2,000 years after the Bible was written, 2,000 years to figure it out and get it right, and we still have a supremacy problem. We still have a supremacy problem. And our problem might not be an Israelite supremacy problem, but we still have the same problem. You may be thinking right now, well, who are you talking to me? What are you talking about with me? I'm glad you're asking that. Here's where we go. We think we are supreme over other people. We may not cognitively make that assertion in our mind when we do it, but for many of us, it's steeped in our family of origin, kind of how we're brought up, right? But it's still our problem to deal with. And for most of us, it's not an Israelite supremacy problem, but hold on. I'm about to say something that's going to catch you hard. Most of us, it's not an Israelite supremacy problem, but it's actually likely that we have, hang on, let me explain what I'm about to say. It's likely that we have a white supremacy problem. It does not mean that you like the KKK or you've ever been a member of it. It does not mean that you're supporting of the alt-right or that you are somebody that is all about white supremacy and the way that it's put across the media and the way where people are out marching and doing it. They don't mean that at all. What I mean when I use those terms, let me define them, white supremacy, is that most people groups see their people group as the supreme people group. And if you look around this room, most of us are white folks. 
And most of us see the world through a white lens. It's just natural to do so. But we've been made anew in Christ. We don't see people the same anymore because we're different now, right? Thank you, Lord. We're different now. And we have some problems. Even some of the greatest servants of God struggle with the supremacy problem. We're going to look at Peter with that struggle. But don't walk away from the shed. Don't close me off. Let's let the word of God pierce our hearts today because I think the Lord will show us if you are submitting to the word, if you are open up to what the Spirit's going to move in us today, I think you will see that today is a day of reckoning for most of us. I know he's been working in my heart. And he will change us because he loves us. And if you pray and ask him to reveal the blind spots in your life where you might be living in a supremacy problem, I believe he will do it. And we might see sweeping change in our faith family, which might enable us to be a part of the sweeping change of the gospel going forth in our community. It could be amazing. But that kind of change always comes through prayer and through repentance. And today is a day of repentance, brothers and sisters. Every day, as Luther said, is a day for repentance. All of life is repentance. Let's look at Peter. Acts chapter 10. You can turn there and kind of follow. I'm going to just kind of give you some bits and pieces and kind of fill in the gaps. Peter was praying at noon on the roof before lunch was ready, okay? I do that often. Lord, help the food get here quick, right? Amen? He was praying. And then the Lord, though, took him from that time of prayer into like a trance. I don't mean a trance where he's leaving his mind. I mean a trance where he is zoned in and God had his full attention. And God brought down this huge blanket out of heaven and he opened it up and it was full of all these animals that he was not supposed to eat of or even touch or he'd be unclean as an Israelite because of what the Old Testament talked about with the ceremonial law. But we know that Jesus fulfilled all that, right? So that's gone now. Jesus fulfilled those parts of the ceremonial law. You don't have to look to that. And so Peter's about to get a rude awakening in it. It says right there, a voice, from, a voice came to him, Acts 10, 13, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Here's our brother Peter, right? Peter said, by no means, Lord, (laughs) for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. That is good. Because we were unclean. We were common. No more. He said, this happened to him three times. That thing was taken up out of heaven. Well, then what you don't know ahead of this is there's this guy named Cornelius who the Lord has sent an angel to him and said, hey, you need to go send off for Simon Peter. And when you go, he's over here at this place. You go get him, bring him to you. He's going to bring you salvation. And this is a guy that all the Jews even loved as a Roman guard. They loved him. He had a good reputation. He was a good guy. He was a God-fearing man. And so Peter had these people show up right after that. And he realized, Lord, this ain't about food today. It's about souls. And we might do good also to realize when you sit down for food somewhere, it ain't really about the food most of the time. It's about the souls around you. So when Peter went with the people, they showed up at Cornelius' in chapter 10, verse 25. It says, Cornelius met him, fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, stand up, I too am a man. As he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. Here's the thing. If you go into someone's home as a Gentile, unclean. You sit down for dinner with them, unclean. You are in a bad spot. Nobody needs to be around you. You've got to go wash yourself in certain ways before you can be around other people. You make them unclean. So just going over there was a huge step for Peter. 
right? So he tells them that. He says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why have you sent for me? Cornelius goes on and tells them the story of what happened. The angel came, did all those things. And then Peter preaches the gospel. And crazy things happen. Remember how the church started? They're up in a room praying, praying, waiting for the Lord to bring whatever he promised. They were probably not sure what was coming. And then the Holy Spirit fell on them. Remember when that happened in, in Acts chapter 2? Well, that's exactly what happens here. Cornelius is listening to it with all of his friends. He gathered around, and the Holy Spirit falls in that place and saves them. And Peter's eyes are open. And he sees this is not just for us. So he goes to Jerusalem. Acts 11.1, 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, remember that for later, that's the uber-religious folks that said, yeah, we're following Jesus, but you still got to do all the law, right? The circumcision party criticized him, saying this, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Man, isn't that like church? <laughs> God does something awesome and somebody's like, yeah, but you did that wrong. You hung out with that? You did that thing? Yes, and look at what God did, right? That's so easy it can be in our hearts because we get caught up on things that aren't as important now as we used to think they were because God changes the methods, but he never changes the message, right? He may make things look a little different. Who knew we'd be in COVID land looking different? And God has used this in so many ways. Peter says to them in Acts eleven fifteen. as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So see what happens, Acts eleven nineteen and on. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. That's where we're going in a minute in Galatia. Speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also. That means the non-Jews, right? Preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, because that's where we come from, brothers and sisters. We come from people preaching the gospel to non-Jews. That's how we get here, right? The Lord has been good to us. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, Barnabas, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. See, even after Peter was given the, the mission of taking the gospel to the Gentiles, it still was uprooting everything around for everybody else in the Jewish community. But man, the excitement of seeing the Lord bring people to faith, seeing the Holy Spirit fall on people. We get real excited about those things, but it's real easy to think we've arrived when we see God doing some cool things in our faith family. And I'm here to tell you that today is a day of repentance for us because today is still a day we need to repent. And today I'm asking us to repent of our supremacy problem. Peter, of all the people, man, seeing all this, walking on the water, seeing Jesus raised from the dead, he still had a supremacy problem. Look at Galatians 2.11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, Paul said. So Paul says, when Cephas came, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. 
For before certain men came from James, that's the church in Jerusalem, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Even the good man Barnabas. None of us, none of us are outside of having a supremacy problem. And I believe that we will have that problem because it's at the root of our sinfulness until Jesus comes and takes it away in glory. Look what it says, verse 14. But when I saw, Paul says, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? You may think, well, he didn't force anybody to do anything. Yes, he did. As a leader, as someone who was a professor of Jesus Christ, as their Lord and Savior, when he stepped up and was eating with them and spending time with them and and loving on them, but then when the the Jewish elite showed up and he then takes a step back because he doesn't want to be put into the, the bad light with those other leaders, he then tells those others that you're lesser, that you're lesser people than my Jewish brothers. That, yeah, you've got Jesus, but you're not as good as these guys. And so he's showing them you need to live like them in order to be the great ones. Supremacy problem. A supremacy problem. He goes on in verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. That's a play on words for Paul, but it's how they were referring to people. Jews by birth. Look at us, the chosen ones. You Gentile sinners, though. As if everybody's not a sinner to the nth degree. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. We'd all say, amen. But we got the same supremacy problem in our hearts that these guys had. Our supremacy problem reveals that we are not living in step with the truth of the gospel. That's what Paul says. All right, so buckle in, put your seatbelt on. We're about to hit some hard stuff. I want you to be open-minded. Lord, give us clarity this morning. Show us where we need to repent. Because of your grace and mercy toward us, show us where we need to turn back to you and not think so highly of self, where we need to turn to others and love them the way that you have loved us in Jesus, your son. Amen. I'm going to give you some ways that maybe you have a supremacy problem. And I'm saying them to you because God's already pierced my heart with them. If you're afraid of somebody simply because of the color of their skin or because of their national background or because of their socioeconomic status, and by that I mean they look like they don't have any money, you might have a supremacy problem and you might need to repent and get back in line with the gospel. If you're afraid of being rejected by others because of who you spend time with when they're not looking, you might have a supremacy problem you need to repent of and get back in line with the gospel. If we think that those different than us are unclean compared to us, we might have a supremacy problem. And you may think, I would never say that. Oh, but even pre-COVID, maybe shake hands with somebody in one of those ways different color, different background, different socioeconomic status, and you think, I need to wash my hands for anything else. But you don't think about it with other people that look like you, we might have a supremacy problem. If when you think of your child or grandchild marrying someone of a different race or that's poorer than you, 
or different nationality, and that concern for them supersedes your concern for that potential spouse's spiritual state, that they could lead them well to Jesus and lead their kids well to Jesus, you might need to repent and get back in line with the gospel. You might have a supremacy problem. If you can't think of even one friend who is of another race or drastically different than you in a socioeconomic way, it's not necessarily true, but you might have a supremacy problem. The implicit thing is maybe we've surrounded ourselves with people that are easy to like and love, but Jesus never did that. And if we're being shaped into the image of Christ, maybe we need to get out of that box and hang out with people that Jesus hung out with, the dejected, those looked down upon, those who were not accepted in the inner circles of normal folks around. And I'm under the same conviction that you might be falling under right now. So I'm speaking to you out of grace and mercy the Lord has given me. We've got to repent, brothers. It starts by asking God to reveal in our hearts where we are wrong and to do it again tomorrow and the next day. And we've got to change because the Lord Jesus wants us to be used for his glory and to enjoy his presence in every moment of every day. And when we walk blind even to our supremacy problem, we are walking antithetically to the gospel. We are not in lockstep with Jesus, which means we will not be effective for the kingdom, which means we will not receive the joy we could have in him, which means we will not see people come to faith like we could see. There are many people that churches are fighting over in this community. Let them go. Let's go for the people nobody's fighting for. That's who Jesus went to. Let us be different because we have been made different because of the glorious grace of Jesus. Let us repent today, brothers, and ask the Lord to show us where we need to change. Who do we think we are? We are saved by grace, the worst of sinners. We've been chosen by God and blessed with the gift of Jesus so that all the families of the earth might be blessed in us, not so that we could be the supreme ones. For by grace given to me, Paul says in Romans, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. If you've been listening the last four weeks, if you've been listening at all, you've heard this passage. Let's look at it in this light in 1 Corinthians 1.26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. We're the weak ones. We're the foolish ones. We're the ones who are low and despised. That's why he saved us. We are not supreme in anything other than we have a supreme God who supremely gave us his supreme son, Jesus, who saved us out of our supreme sin by his supreme glorious grace. And he deserves the glory. That's why he says, then because of him you are in Christ Jesus, because of him who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You may say, I don't boast in myself. No, but we don't boast in the Lord enough, and that's the real problem. It's not that we don't give ourselves enough glory or that we don't do that really. We don't, we don't glory in self, but we don't glory in Him is the problem. If we glory in Him, we find all we need in Him. We have no supremacy issues anymore, at least in those moments. God didn't choose us because we're supreme, but because we are not supreme. He likes to choose the foolish. 
He likes to choose the weak. He likes to choose the low and despised, those that are nothing. That's who he likes to choose. That's us, brothers and sisters. The sooner we accept that, fall into that, and praise him for it, the better off we will be and the more kingdom work he'll give us. That is how we'll reach those who are low and despised and weak compared to the world, who seem foolish. So when we look at others with disdain, it points to our supremacy problem. We speak of others in derogatory ways because of the color of their skin, because of the money they do or don't have, even using hushed tones like we do so well in the South, lower our voice when we say something we shouldn't say. It points to our supremacy problem and our need for the Savior to work in us. When we touch someone different from us and feel an urgency to wash our hands, that's our supremacy problem. When we look down our noses at others simply because we don't like their cultural differences and they're just cultural differences, that's us having a supremacy problem. When we walk by people We try to hold our breath. That's our supremacy problem. For we stink to the Lord in the filthiness of our sin. Yet because of his goodness and his grace, he's given us the Savior who's worth more than everything, who's glorious and beautiful and and is graciously kind to us. We are not superior or supreme in any way over anyone else, yet our sinful self tries to lead us down that road every moment. But there is only one supreme human being, and his name is Jesus. Everyone else is inferior to him. But instead of holding our inferiority over our heads, he became our servant. And he humbled himself to become one of us and serve us, even to the point of death on the cross. The supreme one became our lowly servant. Supreme one lived that life we could not live and died the death that we deserve out of an overflow of love toward us, toward us sinners, even while we were his enemies. For while we were enemies, Romans says, We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have now received reconciliation. Jesus is the supreme one. Jesus alone has the right to feel supreme and it not be a problem. He is supreme. He has supremely loved us. He has supremely given his life for us. And he's loved us even more than he loved his own life to the point of death on the cross. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Amen. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See, it's our ministry now. We got to own it, brothers and sisters. It's our job to do the reconciling. It's not anybody else's job to reconcile people to us. It's our job to do the reconciling of leading people to Jesus. That's our job. We have the ministry of reconciliation.
That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation, which is the gospel. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. That means we go out for Christ. We're ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Today is the day for reconciliation. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus has reconciled us to God, and now it's our turn to be the ministers of reconciliation. Racial reconciliation, that's some words we hear often. Yes, I'm talking about that too. And it's not anybody else's job, it's the church's job. It doesn't mean we take up a social justice issue and make that our our pledge and our plea and our flag. No, Jesus is the only flag we're going to raise in this place. But when you raise the name of Jesus, and when you seek him out, and you see that he's working in you to sanctify you and change you into more and more of the better you he intended you to be as you look more and more like Jesus then you will recognize that as he reconciles us to himself, that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And it doesn't just include physical reconciliation. It also includes racial, intellectual, emotional reconciliation. And it especially and even more greatly includes spiritual reconciliation. But we cannot be ministers of spiritual reconciliation if we have not reconciled our own supremacy problem in Jesus. Because those people will never listen to us who do not yet know him, that God is calling us to, whoever they might be. And I say those people in the sense of everybody that needs Jesus, including us and our own brothers and sisters, will not listen to us if we have not reconciled our own supremacy problem in Jesus every day, every moment, asking the Lord, help me, Lord, help me, help me, help me. I just walked past that person and thought that that was better than them. I was wrong. Help me love them as you've loved me when you were so much better than me. So brothers and sisters, let us, like Paul said as we close in Philippians 2, have this mind among ourselves, which is ours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself as we should do. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. In heaven, on earth, and under the earth, that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That means he's got to be our Lord first. That means he has to work in us first. So today's a day for repentance for us. We're going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. If this is your prayer, as our band comes up, I want you to, to pray with me and say a hearty amen, which means I agree in the Greek. It means I agree. And Lord, if that's the way you're going to work in us, would you work in us and change us for your glory? And brothers and sisters, let us not stop repenting for all of life is repentance when you meet Jesus. That's how much he loves us. So, Father, we need you. We cannot do these things on our own. We cannot accomplish these things by our own efforts. We cannot bring reconciliation between us and you, but you provided the way in Jesus. We can never overcome our sinfulness in its totality, but you have already paid the price in the blood of your Son. And Jesus, who gave his blood for us, who gave his life for us, 
has now reached down to us and brought us into your family. And by your spirit, we are being healed. By your spirit, we've been made anew. The old flesh still fights against us. So Lord, today, reveal the areas where we need to submit our supremacy to the supreme King of kings and Lord of lords, your son, Jesus. Work in our hearts to break us of our supremacy. Work in us to show us how great and magnanimous and how kingly you are. And show us the need for salvation and reconciliation that surrounds us everywhere we go. Let us be those people that people see and think we're crazy because of our love for Jesus. Let us be the ones who are setting aside some great things in order to reach some people that are not seen as great. Who we come from. But let us see us for who we are and see that you love us anyway and let us love others the way you've loved us. Not because we're better and they need us, but because we all need you. For you alone deserve the glory and you alone deserve to be boasted in for your goodness and your glory and your grace, especially as you've shown us those things in Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helped you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to be a place where we can find forgiveness for the past and hope for the future.